I'm Catherine and for over 20 years now I've been living and working in France. During that time I've been employed, self-employed, unemployed and a stay-at-home mum. I've put three kids through the French education system from start to finish, from preschool to uni, bought and sold numerous properties and filled in more forms than I ever thought possible. I've experienced just about everything that life, and especially life in France, can throw at you, and I've survived it all. In 2009, I co-founded Survive France, which is now the go-to online resource for English speakers in France. And now I'm here to share my years of experience, all of my tips and tricks and insider know-how with you. France Made Simple is sponsored by Fab French Insurance, who will make your life as simple as Frenchly possible. Hello, today we have a guest, our first guest and hopefully the first of many. We're joined by Fabienne Pellissier of Fab French Insurance. Fab French Insurance is a French insurance brokerage with English-speaking staff who will help sort out all of your insurance needs in France. And in addition to being the founder and owner of Fab French Insurance, Fabienne is a fount of information about anything and everything to do with French administration and is here to very kindly share some of his extensive knowledge with us. Hi Fabienne, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me Kat. No worries. Um, delighted that you could take some time out to come and explain uh, some stuff to our listeners. But maybe you could start by telling them a bit about yourself, your background and how you came to work with the English speaking market in France. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I suppose uh, as I've always been drawn to the, uh, the English speaking community, been to the UK, loved it. I suppose thanks to my 40% British genes or something like that. Uh, although you can hear I'm French, obviously, but um, I can feel there is a market because when I was an expat myself in the UK, uh, uh, everything was easier, admin-wise mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously then I've discovered that, uh, you know, US expats, uh, British expats, when they were coming to France, obviously it was the other way around. Like everything was more difficult and people were struggling. And, and there isn't really like a, a one-stop shop or a single answer, a single source of information that you can trust. So yeah, it was like, yeah, why not? Why, try, why not try to help? Uh, obviously, we started with the insurance side of things because it, it's even more confusing. The regulations, the way it works, it's so different. Uh, and now we, we are onto the uh, admin stuff as well, you know, the visa application and all that stuff. But basically, helping people out was the original idea. That's that's really interesting. That's good to know. I didn't I didn't realize that was the motivation. I thought it had just kind of evolved naturally. But as you say, it is very very difficult. I think for people when they come to France to actually get their heads around the way the system works so differently in almost every aspect. And insurance obviously is definitely uh, one of those areas that's complete that operates completely differently to the UK. But before we go down the insurance rabbit hole, and I know, again, I've had lots of questions in already about insurance, health insurance, top-up insurance, that kind of thing. But I think we might have to come back to that in another, in another episode. But I think the most helpful thing that we could start by talking about today is explaining to people 
how can they move to France after Brexit and what exactly do they need to do? So, yeah, actually, after Brexit, so Brexit did change the rules, um, but it, it doesn't, it didn't only change the rules for Brexit, it did change the rules for basically all the non-European expats uh, that were uh, coming to France, uh, which is a bit weird, um, but I've, I think that they, they've, they've seized the opportunity, when I say they, you know, like the official and governments, uh, they've seized the opportunity to kind of um, rework the rules and the way they were done. So the rules are the same, that they've always been the same, for example, for uh, US citizens. Uh, but now they, they are applied more, like more to the letter. Uh, so for the British expats, of course, but for all the others as well. And so, uh, so it's not necessarily more difficult. It's just that now this is, and actually this is good because, so it, it's, now it's, it's more of a strict process. You have to follow certain steps and it's the same for everyone. So British expats can still move to France as, as they were able to before Brexit. It's probably a bit more admin stuff involved now and a bit more pricey, but that's definitely doable most of the time. Uh, but the so same for Americans or other non-European citizens. Uh, so again, general, because if you have a wife, that's, that's a EU citizen, there are plenty of different situations. But the, the most common situation uh, when people want to move to France usually is like they want to retire or they are semi-retired. This is like 70% of uh, expats usually are, are going through that uh, scheme. They could be going for work. They could, you know, plenty of others. We, we can um, dig deeper into some of the scenarios. But let, let's assume the most common one is often you know, they want to retire or buy a property in France and then run a jet business, something like that. But I'll consider retirement one or pre-retirement. Uh, it's actually pretty simple. You, you basically have to pass three main tests. And these are, you need to have an address in France, mm -hmm. but something permanent. If you right. have like a, an Airbnb or something, it, it, won't, it could work if they don't notice this is an Airbnb, but it's that, not supposed to work. That's interesting because only yesterday I came across a post on in the internet and it was somebody saying their application had been declined and they'd given the address as a hotel. Yeah, I, I, would, say Airbnb, I, was, I would say Airbnbs and hotels, for example. But sometimes, I mean, some flips through the cracks because sometimes, you know, the guys at the application center, they may not notice that the address is an hotel or something like that. So if they don't notice it, you might be lucky. But usually, you know, you shouldn't um, push your luck. It's like, you should have something like a permanent address or something like that. Uh, so like a real, real address in France. Uh, and then the second test is what they call the proof of income, mm -hmm. uh, which is not necessarily an income. That sounds a bit confusing. It's actually very good. France is one of the only EU countries to allow uh, either or both or make either or one or the other or a mix of both. So it's either income, which is basically minimum wage in France. I'll just run up the numbers just for the sake of, you know, not having headaches doing the math. But it's basically uh, 1400 per month in France, but you can have the equivalent as a yearly saving, you know, on a bank account. If you have the money sitting around on a bank account, again, rounding up the numbers very roughly 20,000 euros, uh, that would cut the deal as well. Okay, and is that 1400 per person? So, well, yes, but it is, there is kind of a discount if you're <laughs> applying as a couple, which is a bit weird. But basically, if you have like only 2000 as a couple, that'll cut the deal as well. Okay. Okay, and if you have children, you basically had 30% income per dependent. Okay. 
Right, okay. Okay, and so same rule apply or the equivalent as a yearly saving, you know, like a one year of income uh, in savings. It should be savings though. If you have that in stocks or invested in a business or in real estate that you consider that's part of your wealth or portfolio, doesn't work. It needs to be money that's available, okay? okay. It's important that they see that you do have the money available. Um, so for example, for Americans, this is doable. You can have a 401k, withdraw the money, uh, so or like draw down on the, uh, on the 401k, have the money around, that's doable, but you need to have the money around that you can show them on a bank statement or something like that. Uh, you can have a mix of both as well. If you have like, I don't know, a hundred thousand. So it it needs to be something in euros or something equivalent and considering the exchange rate, obviously. So it could be in GBP, uh, no problem with that, or in USD, no problem, but it needs to be the equivalent in euros. But if you only have like, if you're a bit short, you have a hundred, you have a a thousand euros per month income, for example, like rental income, just picking up something randomly, uh, then you can top it up with savings. Okay, so the missing bit, you just multiply by 12, basically. And if you have that in savings, that will cut the deal as well. Okay. So that's the second main test. And then the third main test is to have, so I would say it's private medical insurance, but basically is to have a private cover for medical stuff until you are part of the French system. But the requirement is not to be covered until you're part of the French system because this can vary. It could, could happen very quickly or you can... You can be still out of the system after one year of, of having lived in France. So what I want you to make sure is to you're covered for at least one year uh, for something that's basically equivalent to whatever the French uh, system would have provided you with um, so that you're safe in case something happens. So these are the three main tests. Um, usually having an address Obviously, it's the most expensive one because if, you, if you're buying a property, it's expensive, but it could be a rental contract. I hope that would work as well. Uh, so this one is one of the easiest, just involves some time from you, but it, it's the easiest. Um, income is the hardest because, well, it's either you have it or not. Yeah, That's sure. actually the only real yeah. test. And then insurance. Well, obviously insurance, well, I would obviously say would the best, but you have, you'll find plenty of brokers. This is important though because they have strict requirements for this. Like plenty, tons of small requirements. Like it should be a policy. It should be the same as the French system. So if there is any kind of excess of deductible or copay or whatever the name it, that won't cut it. If there is anything like exclusions or basically if, if this is in, in any way different than what the French system would offer. And uh, your application yeah. is going to And be also declined. want to have repatriation included. Okay. Because, well, mortal remains if the worst happened. But also, if you have something very bad and it exceeds potentially whatever the insurance would cover, then you need to be able to be repatriated to your home country. So presumably, you need to be quite careful when taking out um, a health insurance policy to make sure. Yeah, because if it's denied, yeah, then you well, obviously, you can still reapply. But sometimes there is a cool off period to reapply for the visa. So basically, save yourself the trouble and go with people that are already doing that. Obviously, that's what I was saying. We do the job. But there are other brokers that do it, but don't go with any insurance company. Right. Just go with people that can say, yes, we do it. And we'll refund you if the visa is denied so that, you know, it gives some level of confidence that they know the job, that they know the drill. So we've discovered that if I want to move to France now, I need proof of address, proof of income and compliant health cover. 
So, so far, so good. That all seems quite doable. Now, if I'm a retiree or rather an early retiree, but I still want to do things, am I able to work in France? Well, this is, this is why. So the visa actually, so just to clear things out, there are different visas. Okay. Uh, there is like a tourist visa for some countries, you know, if you're staying for less than 90 days. For the English-speaking countries that I have in mind, usually doesn't apply. Uh, then there is a short-term, well, it's a long-term visa, but it's a temporary one, which is called the VLST, which is a six-month visa, okay? Uh, this one is non-renewable, etc. So we are talking about something that's called the VLSTS, which is a long-term visa, uh, and it's a 12-month visa, renewable, poten potentially forever, okay? But it's important first to clear things out because this is the first source of confusion sometimes. And then that VLSTS itself, it comes in, in, with different flavors. So you have different subtypes of visas, so of long-term visas in France. So for example, we mentioned the retire, the, the retiree, I like to call that the retiree visa. It's not a retiree visa because you could be in your twenties and apply for that visa. It's called the visitor visa, uh, which makes it even more confusing because I don't know why they've chosen that word visitor when you <laughs> potentially is forever, but, but this is France. You know? Yeah, welcome to France. Yeah, we don't want to make it too simple. Obviously, it's, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be us. But so, yeah, so the visitor visa is the one for retirees or people are coming, you know, for sabbaticals or things like that. So again, it could be forever. Yeah, don't be confused by the name, but the wording. Uh, but so the problem with that visa is that in theory, so that ends the title, uh, visitor, you're not supposed to be working with that visa. So there are tons of, uh, I would say, glitches, loopholes in that visa. For example, if you intend to come to France, uh, buy a property uh, and, and uh, run a JIT business or something equivalent, Airbnb, whatever, uh, then you can do that with uh, the visitor visa, actually. Because if the business is not too big, let's say, I don't know, 20,000, it's a bit more things, 23,000, but there is a tolerance. But basically, up until a certain amount, again, running up the numbers, but let's say you, you do 20,000 euros or less in turn, turnover with your JIT activity in France, then you can just file that income on your uh, tax return and that's not considered working. Then you can do that with the visitor visa. That's a possibility. So, but don't go, because people sometimes are like, oh, I want to open a JIT business. Mm -hmm. So there is the word business. Mm -hmm. So they think, oh, then I should apply for the business visa. The business visa is one of the hardest to secure because on top of the requirements I've mentioned, the tests, then you need to have a business plan there. And the problem with France is that the business plan, by definition, it's not a standard document. And therefore, it's up to the guy that you have in front of you to determine that, you know, does that look credible? Is it a good enough business plan? You know, so basically, you, 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 you're going from objective criterias to subjective criterias. So usually you try to avoid that as much as possible. So yeah, the answer is yes. Uh, you, you can come to France and have some kind of activity, but not any kind of activity. So if you come to France to be employed, that won't do it. Right. But that being said, you're also allowed to change your mind or to change your plans. So for example, you can come with the visitor visa because mm -hmm. you like it. You want to go on a sabbatical mm -hmm. or, you know, just, you know, like be a long-term tourist. Uh, but then you're like, oh, I like it there. And after four, six months, actually you find a job. And then you, you're allowed to then take on the job, be employed. It's just that at the renewal date of your visa or the expiry date of your visa, 
then you'll need to renew and say, okay, no, I'm no longer a visitor or retiree or whatever. Uh, I'm now employed. And therefore, it will change the visa. So the, the impact on that is that usually the process is the first year you have the visa. Uh, and then from the second year, I would say, you, you're provided with what we call a resident. I like to call that a residency permit. The wording is non-standard. But uh, so it's a carte de séjour. Mm-hmm. But so I prefer to call that a residency permit so that it, it dis- is distinguished from the visa. Uh, so you provide it with a residency permit. That could be a one, two, three years, even a five years one. Uh, it's never going to be the permanent one straight ahead. But then you, you, you have the permanent one, which is the same as the other. It's just it's a 10 year permit. Okay. And this one is much easier to renew. But so if you have changed your plans, you will, well, it's highly unlikely. Again, it's, the problem is it's subjective then. But it's highly unlikely that, that you'll be provided with a residency permit. What they'll tell you is that, no, you should renew your visa with the new label now. And then you'll have another one-year visa. And then from year three or at the end of year two, then you can apply, if the situation didn't change this time, for a residency permit. But it's basically doable. And then you have you know plenty of other visas. For example, um, if you think that you're a Broadway singer, and you want to come to France, there is a talent, what it's called the passport talent, but I prefer to call it the, 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 the visa talent. Uh, you, so you have the work visa if you're employed by a company or you're already employed and they're sending you to France or you find a job in France. There is the business visa. So there are plenty of visas, but most of the time we're trying to get you through the visitor visa because it's the easiest. And again, if you meet the three tests we've mentioned, this is almost an automatic acceptation. Okay. So That's this one, if we can fit you in the boxes, it's probably going to be the best. Okay. okay. Again, well, then it depends on your situation, but that... That's the best way for Hopefully it answers the yeah, question. For the, yeah, no, that's, that's really good to know. And so we talked about sheep businesses. If, for example, somebody comes over on a visitor's visa and they have got that visa because they have passed the income criteria, etc., etc. But once they're in France, they decide they want to start a business. Can they do that if it's you know something other than sheets? I don't know if they want to open a pottery studio or set up a dog grooming business or a tea room or. Um, well, again, it depends on the situation. So the short answer is yes, they can do that. Obviously, uh, France is very flexible, but you can always there is always a way of doing whatever you want. But uh, the first question I would ask then is so what was the source of income? Because then you pass the test, mm-hmm. the, the, the proof of income uh, bit of the test. So what's the source of income? And if you still have, because if you're considering to open up a business, you still have the source of income, it's not the same as if you're dependent on the new income you, you'll have through the business you, you, you're intending sure. to open. So this is the, the first situation. But usually if you open up a business, it's maybe you, would, you may have savings, and then obviously they won't last forever, so you do need some other source of income and the, the new business. So that's doable, but then that would switch you into the business uh, visa, which ideally, if it can wait, again, it's, it's all a matter of planning. If you can wait, you just stay on, on, on the visitor visa for one year, and then after one year, you'll have the residency permit, and under a residency permit, things are much easier. So then if you open up the business at that stage, it's easier. You can definitely get it done within the first year under your visitor visa. But if you do that, then you'll have to declare that at the renewal. Uh, and then they'll say, oh, 
that then reapply for a, a business visa this time. And again, back to the square where I say business visas, best of yeah, they have a higher rejection rate. Although, and it's, it's very important to, to, to tailor that in because when you renew or extend your visa, it's not the same process because when you have to, the, the visa has to be done, and that's why I'm using the word visa and residency permit as different words. Technically, they're kind of the same thing. Uh, but the, the visa is done abroad from a French perspective. It's done on your own country. Uh, the residency permit or extending the visa or renewing the visa, even if you reapply for a visa, is done in your local French prefecture. And that's different because in prefectures, depending on where you are, this is completely up to the guy in front of you. And so most of the time, it's much easier and flexible than the theoretical rules. For example, policies, insurance policies for the, the proof of medical cover that aren't accepted for visas abroad, m most of the time, they'll be accepted at the prefecture level. Right. They're more flexible. So same goes with the business visa. If you uh -huh. renew that, you change your plans, and then you, you, you apply for a business visa, mm -hmm. it's going to be harder than yeah, the, the sure. visitor one. But if you're in France and you're still, you know, they want to make sure you su your life's sustainable in France, basically. Yeah. So if you're still within that sustainable position, they'll probably be happy. Although, that's what I'm saying, if it can wait, it's probably better to, for you to, to have a residency permit because, you know, life would be easier. But if you have to change the, the type of visa, they'll be more flexible and, and it would be easier than if you went for the, the, the business visa straight away. Right, well, I've um, learned a load already this morning. So what I would like to know, though, is why might an application be refused and how likely are applications to be refused? This is a very good question because, well, obviously, this, this depends uh, from one file to another, uh, one person to another. Uh, but on average, um, vi again, visitor visas are overwhelmingly accepted. Uh, mm -hmm. especially coming from the UK, the US, or the, like the, the big countries, again, just like uh, countries which have long history of France. Um, but for other types of visas, uh, business visas, uh, and especially, I would say the weird ones, you know, like the talent visa. You know, oh, what's that? Being talentful, <laughs> you know, it's it subjective. <laughs> And, and, and you have to consider that if you apply for that kind of stuff, so you're supposed to be a talent for France right? and not having talent. You know, it's, you know, it's so slightly different. Just because you're good at juggling doesn't mean you're going to get a visa. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Right. Just because you're part of a band, I neither. So, um, well, well, it could work, but it depends. So, and then the talent visa also, uh, it comes in different flavors because if you're like a senior employee and have secured senior employees job in France, uh, this goes under the talent, of, and if you are above a certain wage, it, this goes under the talent uh, visa instead of the, the, the work visa. Then again, we won't go into the specifics, back to the rejections. So the thing is, most of the time, actually insurance is a major uh, reason for rejections. Oh, really? Um, because they come with policies with a deductible uh, or, or an excess, sometimes like a 50 euros excess, you know, it sounds like nothing. It's like, yeah, well, I don't mind paying 50 euros out of pocket, but like, yeah, yeah but no, you don't check the box. It's not compliant. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so for example, they come with plans from companies. For example, the very good example is Signal, uh, Signal, Signal, I don't know how to pronounce that. It's an American uh, healthcare company. They do have compliant plans, 
But most of the time, people buy a policy out of them, which has a deductible, and they come with that and say, okay, that's a very expensive plan, very good policy, but it has a deductible. Oh, wow. So they don't purchase mm-hmm. the right plan. Right. They do have right plans. but So, so this is a co- very common example, very common issue. Um, another source of, of rejection. So I, I don't really like, I say rejection because at the end of the day, if you don't get your visa, it's being denied or rejected. So the problem with that, if, it, if it's being rejected, you have like a cool off period, which could be like six months until you can reapply for your visa. But most of the time, this is not what happens. Most of the time you apply and there are things that I don't like in your file and they'll be like, okay, you need to fix this and this and that. Okay. Or they'll say, well, for, for example, the medical policy is non-compliant. They may not necessarily tell you whatever they accept exactly, uh, that they'll expect to see exactly. So this, is, this could be frustrating. For example, they'll say the medical insurance is non-compliant. Right, but they won't specify which element exactly. of the policy. Exactly, so th- that could be right. frustrating. Sometimes it's obvious. Mm-hmm. If they're like, no, you, pro- you provided us with an hotel address and we don't accept that, that's obvious. But sometimes it's not obvious. So, and then there is another element, which is, again, subjective. And this is also why I do advise disclose as few as possible, as little as possible, because it's uh, actually... Obviously, you're passionate. You want to tell, I'll be coming to France and I have revenues and, and you see, I have that income. Or look at my payroll and see the bank details and look, at I have saving plans. This is too much. The more you show, right. the more potentially you'll trigger something you don't even no. expect right. but, or haven't think about. But the guy in front of you will see things and some of the things that he'll see may be a red flag in France. Right. Compliance issues, uh, background history, you know, whatever. And so, or they might think something that might not even be true, but for example, you're applying for visit visa mm-hmm. and they see that you provided them with, I don't know, a copy of your payslip. And like, what well, is that guy employed? They won't ask you the question, but if you disclose too much, right. then you're, you're triggering them. You're, yeah. you're triggering them. Okay, that's really good to know because naturally, you know, I would think that the more information one gives, uh, yeah, yeah. this is counterintuitive right. indeed. Yeah. And so that's why I will say, okay, just aim for meeting their expectations and that's it don't go any further because although you probably you know you, you you feel the urge it's like yeah you want to prove them uh, no don't do that if you have twenty thousand euros in savings and maybe you also have income you're well just just show the savings it's right. just a bank statement and that's it and actually you wouldn't believe it, it well luckily this is very rare like we've had we're doing almost a thousand applications each year uh, so we see quite a lot of the, you know, of scenarios. Um, we've only see, we're only seeing once or twice a year. Uh, so something in between, because if it's rejected or actually, again, it's not rejected. Sometimes they, they give you the opportunity to fix the file. So if it's rejected, then you have a cool off period. You, you, you basically, and yeah. there's no way around that cool off period. If it's a complete, well, rejection. there is an appeal. Yeah. You, you could, you could make an appeal, but then it becomes, you have to get a lawyer. Then it, it's something completely different. Only a lawyer can make appeal on, on right. a visa rejection file. Okay. Uh, and you know, it's a it's a legal process, so it's probably it's going it's to save you money. Yeah. Quick, well, it? just wait for six months and then try it again. Yeah. But uh, well, if if you are uh, potentially accepted, you check all the boxes. Mm-hmm. But it's important to understand as well that you do have to go through a physical interview, like in person interview. Oh right. 
so in the UK, for example, this is actually subcontracted. Uh, in the UK, the subcontractor is called TLS, mm -hmm. TLS Contact to be accurate. And it's, it's called VFS in the US, for example. If you are in a, I would say in a smaller country, a smaller in terms of immigration uh, influx, um, they may not have a contractor. Then you'd go straight, straight through the consulate. Right. But in the UK and in the US, for example, they have contractors, which is then again VFS and TLS. So you'll have to go in an, with an interview with these guys. And these guys, so, so we, we'll hear you out. You know, so why do you want to find? So the simple questions, you know, it's, it's usually quite casual and, you know, mm. works out very well. Again, except from once or twice a year, I mean, in our case. Because, uh, but all of the time, this is the same situation. You've said too much. Right. And you've said things that actually triggered them or raised a red flag on yeah. their end. They won't say anything, but instead of a 12-month visa, then you'll be provided with a six-month visa. Okay. Because they didn't like something. They, they, again, they won't tell you anything. Yeah. So back to the original question. So visitor visas, I don't have exact numbers, but I would say if you meet the three, well, files are rejected very often because you don't meet the criteria. Right. But assuming you meet the three criteria I mentioned, the three tests, more than 99% will be accepted. Okay. Very, very low rejection rate. Once you're in France, renewing the visas is probably going to be even higher, even if you've changed the reason for the stay. Unless you've done something terrible, like sure. you've done jail time or, you know, or, or you've changed your reason for the stay and you're out of money now or things like that. But even in that situation, you could probably secure the visa anyway, but you know, things like that. The business visa, it's more like a 60% acceptance rate. Mm -hmm. So for that type of visa, I would say it's, it should be mandatory for you to seek assistance because it might seem easy because it seems, you know, on paper, it looks good and easy. That's probably going to be, uh, you have like almost a 50% chance of rejection. So. And for the talent visa, for example, this is the worst because it's so subjective that it depends on the person you have in front of you. So if there is any way around the issue and try, because I understand the urge of trying to secure a talent visa because you could get a two or three years uh, visa, I would say straight away, a passport visa, a passport talent straight away for two or three years. So it does look good. But again, you have to think French. Mm. And if you think French, you need to think, okay, what I want is to go through the road that's administratively as simple as Frenchly possible. And even if you just go through the one-year visa, uh, for example, the visitor one, it's super easy to secure. You, sure. you won't make your life a hell. And then you'll just renew the visa. It's probably going to be a walk in the park. Yeah. And then everything's easy. So although it might not look as good, but it's so much easier. Yeah. And you're saving yourself time, potentially money, and mostly stress. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just one last quick question. Well, actually, I have two more questions. But uh, <laughs> before I get to my last question, the couple of people that you mentioned that were rejected, are you able to tell us why they were rejected? Do you uh, even know? For one, yes, uh, the other no. But um, uh, it's not the last one we got. So one almost a year ago. Uh, it's actually what I've said. It's like, on well, it's, it's an assumption I'm making. Because we don't know, they don't say. But, well, they told us about the situation and my guess is they've applied for a visitor visa mm -hmm. and they also have rental income. But that rental income was uh, big enough. As it, well, it, it could appear as it is, was a business. Business, okay, yeah. And I'm, 
again, it's just an educated guess, but I think they did think that mm, that guy has a business, he'll, he'll keep on working for his business. Mm -hmm. And even if you are living in France working for a business abroad, in theory, you should then apply for a business visa. Yeah, sure. Again, but if you apply, if you apply for a visitor visa and mm -hmm. they don't know you're working, you know, well, I shouldn't be telling that, but if they don't know you're working for a company abroad, they won't notice it, that that's good. Yeah. But so that's why, Less is more. Less you disclose, yeah. All right, yeah. so yeah, that's a very useful lesson mm. for everybody. Remember that, folks. Less is more. <laughs> and my last question, which I know lots of our listeners will want to know the answer to. Obviously, we've mentioned in passing this morning that you are available to help with, with visa applications. Can you tell us a bit more about that, please? How does that work? I like to consider myself as a broker. Mm -hmm. uh, but not not just for insurance. That's that's basically what I try to do, because most of the time, well, like a doctor without uh, the title, the studies, and, and the ego, uh, hopefully. <laughs> um, but uh, I like to charge consultations, uh, and basically I review the situation and assess whichever advice they'll need, whichever you know if they should go with an immigration expert, an immigration lawyer. So obviously we can provide them with quotes. But my goal is to look around, shop around for the best information. And well, to be honest, more than 80% of the time, they end up being capable of doing that on their own. You know, I do a consultation, I explain what they should be doing, the type of visa they should be applying for, and that's it. And well, to discuss some numbers, well, we usually charge 150 euros uh, from, for the consultation with me. Um, for, you know, when we have agreements, it comes from partners, we can discount that to 90 euros. But then if you do a visa application, well, it, it massively depends if you go through an immigration lawyer, an immigration expert. But I would say you're looking at at least uh, $1,500 uh, for a visa assistance, you know, uh, for a visitor visa. It could be much more if you're applying for a talent visa, for example, or a business visa. But usually you're looking at $1,500. So if you go with someone like me, uh, you know, that helps you figure out which type of visa, etc., and you feel comfortable applying for your visa, then basically you've saved yourself more than a thousand euros. Uh, but if you understand that, it because it's not only the visa, you know, it could mm -hmm. be you know, vehicle import, uh, converting a license, there are plenty of stuff to consider. Actually, the visa is just one step, and then the first year is going to be a journey. There is one thing that I, I'm, I like to do is, obviously we won't be calling you on a daily basis, but um, you know when I'm working with people, and I know when they did arrive, we try to offer a subscription for free to a mail course, which we send at intervals, which are critical within the first year. You know, like right. when straight away when you moved, uh, 30 days in, because then you can start, for example, the driver license exchange if you've um, activated your visa. Then 90 days in, you can start the CPAM, the CQ, you know, application, etc., etc. So we send email reminders of, yeah, you know, you should have done that. You, you, you should be there. There is still this bit to be considered that comes next. So you know where you should be standing. You know? That's a really useful service That's, for people, yeah. I think. And yeah. yeah, so, but again, the goal for me is to make sure if people want to move to France, okay, you know, we want to make them, you know, live the dream and help them actually realize that dream instead of fantasizing it. And that's it. Yeah, that's the goal. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming in this morning, Fabian. I know I've learned a lot and I felt that I already knew quite a lot. So I'm sure lots of other people will have learned um, immense amounts from your 
vast fountain of knowledge about all things French and French admin. So we really do appreciate it. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Kat. Um, one very, very last question. How should people get in touch with you? What's the easiest way? Um, there, there's more than one way to go. Um, obviously, you can go onto our website, fabfrenchinsurance.com. Um, on the website, you'll see the emails and you know, all the details, probably the easiest. You can shoot us an email at hello at fabfrenchinsurance.com as well. Uh, but yeah, these are the two easiest paths okay. easier to remember. Okay, that's great. Well, thanks again, Fabian, and let's catch up again soon. Thanks, Kat. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you have, then please do spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your colleagues, tell your neighbours, tell anyone you think might be interested. And please do follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others to find us and we really appreciate it. France Made Simple is sponsored by Fab French Insurance, who will make your life as simple as Frenchly possible. Thank you.